This week on Inside Marketing, I'll be joined by the one and only ad contrarian himself, Bob Hoffman. We're going to talk about a lack of diversity in creative at the moment, surveillance advertising, and why people in Adland are like golfers. So it's going to be a good one. Stay tuned to this week's Inside Marketing. The Inside Marketing Podcast, brought to you by Dentsu and Irish Times Media Solutions. Hello and welcome to this week's Inside Marketing. As I said in the intro, I'm uh, delighted to be joined by the ad contrarian, the one and only Bob Hoffman. Bob, thank you so much for taking the time to speak to us in Little Old Ireland today. Thanks for taking time out of your schedule. Thank you, David. It's a pleasure to be here. Great. Well, I'm looking forward to this. So um, I'm sure mo- it's a marketing podcast. I'm sure most people know know very well who you are, but to, like for anyone who may be not for, be that familiar with you or your background or what you did, just give me like the brief intro. Let's start at the beginning. Um, your agency life before you before you realized what it was and became the ad contrarian that you are today. Um, and actually, wh- like what you did in agency, did you run agencies? What your background? Just uh, for context. Sure. I started as a copywriter and um, through a series of comic mishaps, I wound up as CEO of uh, three agencies, uh, two of which I was a partner in and uh, one was uh, an international agency. And uh, I was in the agency business for 41 years and then I retired uh, uh, several years ago. And since then, I've been writing and speaking about advertising. Right. So, um, right, right. cast your mind back. You entered the ad industry, which is an exciting industry, maybe maybe from the outside in. It's an exciting industry and you're possibly an ex- excited young man. You're eager to make your mark and to, you know, we all think change the world. So, um, like... It's fair to say then that at some point in that you became skeptical. I'm not sure how how far you were in that journey. Um, and I'm going to paraphrase or maybe quote you directly as saying that like most people in the industry are full of shit. So, <laughs> so um, the, like when did when did you come to that realization? Um, did it did it slowly dawn on you, or you know, what, what, was it in your consciousness very early, or how long did it take to come to that realization? Yeah, it came to me uh, almost immediately. Uh, Before getting into advertising, I was a science teacher, and I did that for a few years. And then I uh, got into advertising, and it seemed to me that people in advertising didn't really know anything. They thought they knew a lot of stuff, but um, a lot of what they thought they knew, I found, was unproven. It was just, you know, the, the opinions of experts masquerading as facts. Mm-hmm. And um, so I, I, from the very beginning, I was skeptical about what we really knew in the advertising world. And, you know, I remain so today. So, like, a 41 years career in advertising, and it, and if, if that kind of, even if it, 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 that realization, even if it, it kind of was just in the back of your mind at the start, it, you must have you must have been working in senior positions and agencies for quite a long time, and actually saying, "I don't believe all this bullshit." So, how did you, you know, how did you continue to to go to the, like we've all been at those meetings where clients are talking about something, you know, and whatever it is, and they're going, "Oh my god, it's the most amazing thing ever," and we buy the bullshit, and then, but how did you buy into that and still continue to do your day job while deep down you you didn't believe in kind of um, the craft and what you were doing? Was that difficult? Uh, not really, because uh, I, I 
pretty soon in my career, I became creative director of the agency I was at, and then I became president, and I was able to do things my way. And doing things my way uh, made it easier for me to believe in what I was doing. You know, I had a lot of people around me and a lot of people I worked with who, you know, didn't agree with me. But that was okay. As long as I could do it my way, I felt satisfied in what I was doing. Now, was I always right? Of course not. Nobody's always right. Mm. But, um, I, you know, I felt good about my career. I, I enjoyed working in advertising a lot. And um, so I was happy with that. But that doesn't mean that I buy into all the mm. stuff that uh, it was going around then or is going around now. Yeah, um, true. Yeah, I mean, you think you can you can be good at it, and you don't have to believe it all. But it's a good point as long as you were true to yourself in terms of um, how you're approaching it. Now, I heard you speaking before because just reading up on a few things um, about you, you. You worked as a consultant, so I mean, when you got out of maybe got out of the agencies, you were kind of going back in a little bit as consultants. I imagine you were a man in demand. Um, but the way you put it was, you you felt at that time that. Most people wanted your approval rather than your opinion. Um, and, you know, be careful. I would say be careful when you ask for people's opinions, particularly if there are people who will tell it like it is. Um, maybe don't ask their opinion if you don't really want it. So when you think about consultancy, because it's a, it's a, I see it a lot of time. I see when it doesn't matter who does research. It, the research can often validate what we wanted to say. So do you think that there's too much of consultancy at the moment that is, that is simply just in the business of approval rather than real insight or value? Yeah, I you know I I can only go by my experience, and my experience was um, when I left the agency business, I had a few people who called me to do consulting work for them, and I was happy to do it at first. But then I found that, uh, like you said, they really weren't interested in my opinion; they wanted my approval, and that didn't work for me. And I only did three consulting gigs, and frankly. It didn't pay very well, mm. so I wasn't that interested in continuing that as a, you know as a second career. So I stopped doing it, and I haven't done it since. And I, I, I presume you you probably well if you if you say no enough times you probably stop getting asked. But I guess you were pro probably for a while you were you were still being approached to to work on some consultancy projects. Yeah, yeah, I was, but uh, it really wasn't interesting to me. You know, I, I had enough of that. Uh, in my career. And, you know, frankly, when I retired, I really only wanted to do the stuff that I enjoyed doing. Mm -hmm. And the stuff that I enjoyed doing was speaking and writing. And the consulting part was a big drag and I didn't like it. And I was working with people who really didn't, uh, you know, th they thought they wanted my opinion. Mm -hmm. But when it came down to it, they they really didn't. They were they were going to do what they were going to do, regardless of what I told them. Yeah. So they wanted your opinion as long as it it kind of was in line with what their opinion was, and if it wasn't, exactly. we don't want to hear yes. that. Um, yeah. now, like we we do today, advertising. We want to be able to measure everything. Um, and I spoke to Rory Sutherland on the podcast you know, two years ago, um, and he kind of makes a very point, a great point about. You know, advertising how it works. We don't really know how it works like, as well as we'd like to know. So, but the one universal truth is that advertising in increases your exposure to to fame and and good luck, right? So, you know, when you're we are not, when when you're a famous company, it, it, you know, it's it, it's a it's a general lubricant for success because people reach out to you, partners ring you and want to work with you, em employer employees want to work for you, and people take your phone calls. People, you know, yeah, so it's it, it's very it, 
it's this kind of secret sauce in a lot of cases of fame. Um, and a lot of it is, is mostly driven by advertising. But do, do you think on that, like in particularly today, do you think that advertising creates fame in the same way as it used to, do you think? Um, in, that, in, that, in, in those kind of, I suppose, big cultural famous advertising campaigns, do you still think it has that effect? Yeah, uh, let me start at the beginning. First of all, Rory is a brilliant guy, and uh, I, I love hearing him talk because he's so smart. And um, I think he's right about fame, that the, the, the first important thing that advertising does is create fame. Now, we in the uh, marketing world, we, you know, that's too simple for us. We need to complicate the shit out of everything. Mm -hmm. So we invent all kinds of reasons for advertising that this, and we have to do it this way. And we ignore the most important thing, and that is that it makes you famous. Mm -hmm. And, um, uh, you know, your, your, the second part of your question is, does it make us, does it make you famous now in the same way it did years ago? The answer is no. There are so many media options for achieving fame that it's very hard. And there are very few media that reach huge numbers of people anymore, like we able, like we used to be able to do on television. Mm. So um, creating fame these days is more difficult. It's still the most important thing we do, right. but it's more difficult to do it now than it was. Mm. Yeah. And I guess that's um, like fame for, for brands, but I want to talk about fame in, in, in a slightly different context. So, you know, Companies yeah. who use their 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 figurehead, their CEOs, as, as as in a way that kind of they they become the embodiment of that company, like like Richard Branson at Virgin and and Steve Jobs famously did at, at Apple, where these people, you know, they are the brand ultimately, and and it's a brilliant thing because if if they if they are really charismatic and and they become media darlings, it gets loads of free exposure for them. So, um, you know, Steve Jobs, I think you were a fan of Apple. I've read that before and, and you like Steve Jobs. I want to ask you about kind of the, the modern day, I don't know if it's fair to say equivalent, but like, you know, it's a figurehead, a company figurehead who takes all the, the media spotlight, Elon Musk. So I want to just get your, get your point of view on him. Um, now, it seems to be, I don't know, I look at this thing and I go, he talks about things, he can manipulate the market, the price of things, and no one seems to kind of care what he can do. He can talk things up, talk stock up or down. He can say things like, should I offload some Tesla shares? Seems to be like, I don't even know how ethical this is, but what's your opinion on him um, as, as a figurehead in, in a kind of akin to a Jobs? And also then the, 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 the Twitter, I don't know if it's a stunt or whatever, like, was he just being rash? Did he just do this for his ego? Say he was going to buy them at a massively overinflated price. Now he wants to backpedal out of that and he's looked like he's going to be sued for a, a billion. What do you think of him? Um, what do you think of that deal? I think he overstepped his boundaries. I think he, he um, you know, he was so successful in so many things that he thought he could do everything. And I think, as you say, the Twitter thing was just an ego move on his part. And uh, I think it backfired on him. And it didn't just backfire in a business sense. It backfired in the sense of the public's understanding of who he was and what he stood for. I think he's done himself a lot of personal harm. His reputation has has um, gone through a lot of personal harm, I think. And I think he's uh, in his 
effort to back out of the deal. I think he's acting irresponsibly, and I think he's acting in a way that uh, lacks integrity. I mm. mean, he 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 went into this thing. Um, he had he had the opportunity to do due diligence, and he and he refused to do that. And now he wants to do due diligence in retrospect. Mm. And, you know, he's, he's come up with this, uh, in my opinion, a phony idea about, uh, you know, that, uh, the, his excuses that fake, um, accounts and fake, uh, uh people are, are over 5% yeah. of, of Twitter's now, come on. This guy is one of the smartest tech guys in the world. Mm. He knows that there's nothing on the internet that's only five percent bullshit. Mm. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the internet is at least twenty percent bullshit in anything you want to talk about or look at, and he knows that. Mm. So th this idea that he's uh, all shocked and upset because uh, there's more than five percent phony accounts on Twitter, I don't buy that for a second. I think that's a, just an excuse because he made a bad deal and he wants to get out of it. And do you think his his disregard for the the clauses and trying to backpedal out of that deal are another sign of his ego that he thinks he just uh, well I signed yeah. it I'm negligible for it but you know what well, I'm not gonna he didn't take it seriously he thinks he can just do whatever he wants is that yeah I think that's what you know he's used to getting his way yeah and uh, he thinks he can get his way in this deal and I don't think so no. I, I don't think the I don't think the courts are going to take kindly to what you know he's trying to do now. I'm, am I a lawyer? No, I don't know anything about the law, but uh, I have a feeling that he's going to pay for this, and uh, it's not going to be pleasant for him. Mm -hmm. It'll be interesting to see how I don't know the knock. It, it's dangerous when when the person is the company because when when the person's gets gets reputationally damaged, does that impact the stock the the stock price? Yeah, you know, uh, as you said, there are a lot of ways for companies to become famous. You know, the best way to become famous is to have a great product and people talk about you and uh, th that costs you nothing. That's a great way to become famous. Then there's public relations. You can become famous through public relations. You can become famous through stunts. You can become famous because the press falls in love with you and covers you every day like they used to do with Tesla mm -hmm. and they, uh, they did with Facebook. And then you can become famous uh, because you have a... Uh, a CEO who's good copy. The problem with that is a lot of these CEOs who are good copy and are um, and the press loves to cover them. They also turn out to be assholes, mm. and, and that can get you in big trouble. So you got to be careful about that. Yeah. And uh, you know the most expensive way to become famous is advertising. Right. But it's also it's also the most reliable way to become mm. famous. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Totally buy that. Um, because you can you can buy your way into fame with mm, advertising. Yeah. The the other ways you can't buy your way into fame. Only advertising allows you to do that. And you're less vulnerable. Like if you've built brand equity over years, there's some resilience in there, and you're less you're you're less vulnerable or fragile to you know certain missteps, like you know personal missteps. If you if you hang your fortunes on on your charismatic CEO. That's fine as long as as long as the media still court them and love them, but it's 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 dangerous. You it can be dangerous. Um, 
But advertising, yeah, look, and advertising is, we, we build fame. That's that's the intention of advertising and sales come with that. Now, advertising has always been annoying, right? I mean, I don't know who says, oh, I love advertising. Well, I mean, bad advertising has always been annoying. We all like advertising. Nobody likes to admit it, but we all like good ads. We have to see a great ad and we go, I like that. And we're all influenced by advertising, right? But I think it's 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 become, it's quite sinister now. And, and again, you, you, you're very uh, outspoken about surveillance marketing and that takes it into a yeah. really dangerous and harmful place. So um, for anyone who's not been familiar with some of the things you're saying about surveillance marketing, just like what define surveillance marketing let, um, just so people are familiar with it and then yeah. kind of point to some of the the, the, the really damaging or, or kind of sinister things that, that go hand in hand with that. Yeah. The um, online media, online brands, online websites, uh, follow us everywhere we go online. They keep track of everything we say, everything we do, everywhere we go. They know where we are at any particular point. They collect this information. They have secret files on us. They sell this information to third parties. They share this information with third parties. And it's very dangerous and damaging both to individuals and to society as a whole. Um, the, uh, for example, um, right now in the U.S., there have been uh, there has been rulings about abortions. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is a very controversial issue in the U.S., and the Supreme Court has ruled that states can make essentially their own abortions abortion laws. Mm -hmm. And uh, there are going to be restrictions on abortions in 26 states, and they're going to become illegal. Certain types of abortion become illegal. And um, the big tech companies like Facebook and Google have all kinds of information about who uh, goes to Planned Parenthood online and to other organizations online to learn about abortion issues. And uh, the police are going to have access to those records in those states, and they're going to be able to find people who they think may be considering that and mm. follow up on whether they actually had abortion. So it's very dangerous mm. that that um, that our individual behaviors are being cataloged and that the, the states uh, are able to to find out what we're doing and how we're doing it, and uh, so that's on an individual basis. On a on a, on a societal basis, it's very dangerous because the algorithms that uh, companies like Facebook use um, put us into groups, and they 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 create uh, these algorithmic groups, and they. They, you know, Facebook would like us to think that they're just a bulletin board. We go on there and we say what we want to say, and that's it. And it's good for democracy and good for freedom and all that. the The reality is that Facebook actually has algorithms that that um, direct us to groups, right. and these groups are sometimes very evil. And very dangerous. And after uh, after the last presidential, uh, after the 2016 presidential election here in the U.S., there was a study. Uh, there was a study done by Facebook executives in which they found that about two thirds of people who joined extremist groups on Facebook were sent there by mm -hmm. Facebook's recommendations. So the and and these groups are creating a 
terrible wedge here in the U.S. in society that is is becoming very dangerous and uh, is doing serious harm to our civil mm. uh, uh, behaviors mm. here in the United States. I don't know what it's like there in Ireland or uh, in Europe, but here it has become a very big problem, and it's driven to a considerable extent by tracking. Yeah. By tracking online, by them knowing who we are, where we go, who we talk to, and what we say. Very dangerous. Mm. And I think it's a good point because, you know, like everybody knows at some level that their data is being used. But I think they think about it in the sense that, yeah, whatever, use my data. What are you going to do? You're going to put, like, you know, i got a kid. You, I'll see ads for a kid. That's fine. And I and I think, you know, by and large, people are okay with that because, with that level of, and and I think the platforms would, would probably say, oh, you know, we're, we're just a platform for, for free speech. But when you, when you think about the algorithm, that's a fascinating stat about, about people, two thirds and being, being directed to those groups. Then, you're not a facilitator for free speech. You're you're a facilitator for these extreme groups and and these kind of, like you 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 become you know complicit in that in the recruitment and that one. So you know it's yeah. really interesting. But maybe it's probably it could be just yeah. the case that people aren't aware. They just don't think about it at that level because we think I'll see different ads. So what? No problem. Yeah, um, yeah. It, it, you know, people uh, people say, well, I have nothing to hide. I don't care. I yeah. have nothing to hide. Well, go to any authoritarian regime in history, and everyone thought they had nothing to hide until they were thrown into jail and executed. Mm. Then they found out they had things to hide that they didn't know the, yeah. they had to hide. And that's what's happening now in the U.S. with this abortion stuff. Yeah. Women who did the, the, the most innocent searches online for to find out about uh, family planning are now, are now capable of being targeted by the police. Right. It's very dangerous. Yeah. <clears throat> it really needs to stop. Yeah, yeah, because it's it it it's not an advertising problem as such. It's being you could say it's funded by advertising, but because they are advertising business now, maybe not so much for Facebook, but but maybe more so for Google. So I want to give you a counter argument that is sometimes given to me yeah. when I say Google are too big; they should be broken up. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you know, and they and they're un, unashamedly profiting from our data. So somebody would yeah. say, okay, well. Look at all the utility utility that you get from Google, stuff that you would otherwise pay for. So you get Google Maps, you get free Gmail, you get CloudSpace, you get video chat, you get all kinds of tools and you get all kinds of things that are hugely valuable to society. So, you know, what what price is that? What value is that? Nothing is free, Dave. You know, nothing is free. So you, you give your data and your the ability to monetize your data. And that's a value exchange. Um, that's sometimes said to me, what do you make of that defense? Yeah, I think that argument is bullshit. Here's here's the truth. The truth is we get a lot of free stuff from Facebook and Google that's wonderful. And I love it. And we all enjoy it and we all use it. And as you say, it's, it, it, it creates tremendous utility for us. But they make their money through advertising. I have no problem with that. Advertising funds everything pretty much everything that happens online but tracking doesn't mm. there is no reason why they can't make their money from advertising without tracking us for decades every other medium radio television press outdoor made money from advertising without tracking people mm. it is absolutely unnecessary for them to track us to make 
boatloads of they can still make boatloads of money. Remember, Facebook has more people on their website every day than the Super Bowl has once a year. So mm-hmm. they have plenty of people that can they can advertise to, and there's plenty of room for them to make boatloads of money without tracking us. Yeah, I I I totally agree with that. Totally agree with you. Um now we're going to cover cover a couple more things. There's, there's a debate going on, and it's always been going on. It's, it's taken it's been going on for a while now about long versus short term brand versus performance, whatever you want to think about it. Um, now a lot of advertising is now tactical, and um, Orlando Woods done a, a lot of great work. And is there such a body of work at the moment that points to a, a, a kind of sensible solution? And yet the debate still goes on. So we're still yeah. we're still having this debate, and I don't know how much evidence we need. It's just. And we, we'll cover this later on. But like, do you think the fact that click-through rates are are so low, that's kind of a crushing indictment of how how bad creative is or the experience or the medium is? Um, and do you think when you think about advertising today, um, you know, as a career, you know, the, the art of storytelling and that is and creativity, do you think advertising today is still a rewarding career? If somebody, you know, in your, in your family came and said, should I get into it or not? What What would you say? I would say yes. I think advertising can still be a rewarding career. I think the industry, as you say, has gotten obsessed with short-term versus long-term goals. This is not healthy, but you know what? In the world, the tactical always drives out the strategic, always. And it's it's true in advertising and it's true in every aspect of things we do that um, it's much easier to to keep your eye on short-term goals rather than long-term goals. Now, do I think that's the right thing to do? No, I don't. But, you know, I can't change the world. And, and the advertising industry has become obsessed with click here now, you know? Mm. There, 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 are, there are two branches of the advertising world. One is the direct response brand, the branch, which is, uh, you know, it used to be Click a clip this coupon, mm-hmm. then it was dial this 800 number. Now it's click here. And these are always the crappy, you know, not always, but usually the crappy kinds of advertising. And that's what the, uh, that's what the web has become to a large extent. It's become, um, you know, electronic junk mail with click here now. And the good kind of advertising, the brand advertising, the stuff that we're used to from Apple and Nike and Coca-Cola that they've done for years is becoming secondary. Uh, that that kind of advertising that builds brands that has a historical record of building brands is out of fashion with many advertisers now. I think they're completely wrong, but uh, you know, and that, that's one of the things that I write about. But that you know, that's where it's headed, and it's headed more and more in that direction. And uh, who knows what's going to happen? I hope the advertisers will come to their senses. And see that the the value is in building brands. That's where, you know, that 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 that's where all the great companies in the world uh, how they were built. Yeah, I mean, and it's come up a lot in this podcast. And I I I just don't know. I don't know because I think business culture is set up to reward short term. Um, it's actually quarterly cycles. You know, even I the, the turn of. Like CMOs aren't there for the long term and marketing managers aren't there. And if you work for Coca-Cola, you're probably moving on different brands, moving in different territories. Uh, like you do stuff today, 
you're re- it's not you. You're relying on on your counterpart in in the job that you will go to in a couple of years. So I'm doing the right thing today. So it, it, you get bonused on on annually agency contracts. Prips are paid annually. Performance, a long term. Con- you're lucky to get a three year contract. By the time you bet a client in that. You know, you're not even in in classic marketing terms. You're not even into the into the medium or long term. So I just don't know if it's going. I don't know. I don't know how it changes. Yeah, yeah put yourself in the put yourself in the shoes of a CMO. You're you're evaluated on what's happening this week and this mm-hmm. month, and you you know your 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 job life is probably about 24 months. Mm-hmm. That's how long you last. And if you do brand, if you start a brand campaign now, it's not going to really come to fruition for a couple of years. Mm. And by that time, you're off. You're yeah. gone. You've been fired yeah. or you've moved on to something else. So what do you want to do? You want to make your mark now. You want to get promoted and get a raise now. So you do things that have immediate effect that you can go yeah. to the CEO or you can go to the board and say, look, I got all these clicks and we have all these people liking us and all this bullshit. Uh, which doesn't uh, really build brands, but uh, it builds careers. Yeah, so good that's point. The problem. Good yeah. point. Yeah, it doesn't build brands; it builds careers. And yeah, I mean, we are set up to reward short-termism. So, um, now, like again, I don't know if it was always the way it was. It's really hard to to differentiate a product today. To create, like, it's rare that you see a, a, a genuine product that is unique and differentiated. Because look, anything could be copied. Um, and even if there's any truly unique benefits or products, they're just gonna they're just gonna you know be copied and by anybody after a certain period of time. So, but yet you sit in meetings, you will remember, and it hasn't changed. People will talk about whether it's beer or fizzy drinks or you name it, and how oh this is completely different, this is completely unique, it's so different, right? And it's like we're disconnected from reality. Do you think that marketing departments are kind of disconnected to to people in the outside world in that? We don't realize that the people buy on autopilot far more than we would like to admit that they do, that they don't sit there pondering the purpose behind a, a sparkling orange drink. They just pick it up and whatever, and they're gone and they don't think about it. Are, are, we, are we giving people too much credit on, are we giving marketing too much credit? Yes, we are. Uh, we're living in a fantasy land in which people want uh, brands have deep meanings to people. And, you know, uh, if you if you want to test that, just go out in the street and ask anyone, what's the difference between Coke and Pepsi? What's the difference between Nike and Adidas? What's the difference between uh, Mercedes-Benz and BMW? And they'll think, I don't know. Uh, yeah. Let's see. Uh, Nike has that uh, check thing and, uh, and uh, Coke is red can and you know pepsi they, they don't know but if you go to those companies and you look at their strategic documents there's all kinds of bullshit about what the product means to people and mm. and uh, and how it's differentiated you know people are too big most of what we call differentiation is lost on the public mm. they you know every now and then there are products that are really well differentiated but most of the time uh, as uh, Professor Byron Sharp says, it's not differentiation; it's distinction. Yeah. It's what are, you know. What's the color? What's what does the music sound like? What is the uh, pro, what does the package look like? Uh, mm-hmm. um, things like that that people recognize. They don't recognize the esoteric differentiations mm-hmm. and positioning statements that we concoct in conference rooms. I don't mm-hmm. think. 
No, no, I tend, I, I have to agree with you. And, and um, yeah, but you're right. I mean, and that's the role advertising plays. The products themselves, the taste, the look, the feel, you know, the taste, particularly the, the intrinsic values of a product may not all be that different, but it's a perception that you can create through distinctiveness in advertising or even packaging, which is which is the kind of intangible difference, which is, which is what advertising has always been good at and designed to do. Um, now, there's a narrative that the brands, shall we say, are less important because we have this idea of a savvy consumer. Um, we, you know, we can we can we won't believe the bullshit anymore. We won't believe what we see in TV because we you know word of mouth will spread. So you know, brands are kind of they became unpopular for a little while. But yet, when you think about and if products are truly undifferentiated, when you think about say beer, kind of all tastes the same. More or less, it's a slight nuance in it, but there's a lot. And I see a beer being launched, and I go, the world did not need another beer. Certainly, Ireland didn't need another need another beer. Yet they launch, and they do quite well. Um, and so when you think about brands, like there's no difference between Heineken, say, and and other. There's a lot of beers that may taste like Heineken, and yet the only difference between Heineken being a global market leader is the power of that brand. So, what, what's your point of view on on how important brands are today? Are they dissipating? Are they be, are they still really important, even though they might be harder to build? Once built, yes. are they as powerful as ever? I think they are. I think they are more important now than ever because uh, people uh, are more confused than ever. Uh, but here's the thing. Brands are very important to marketers. The the most important the 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 most powerful thing you can have is a strong brand. But brands are not that fascinating to consumers mm. because, like you said, they operate on autopilot. So the less people think about brands, the less interest they have in evaluating the meaning of brands, the more, ironically, the more important brands become. Right. Yeah. Because they they don't think about it. they 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 act instinctively, uh, you know the the brands that are most compelling to them are the ones that are the most famous, uh, the most familiar, and the most comfortable. Mm. And pretty much, if if you look in any category, the leaders in that category are the brands that are most familiar and most comfortable, and they become most comfortable because they are the most familiar. Mm. So it's it's a, um, I think, creating a, we have to understand that to us marketers, brands are very important. To the consumer, brands are not very important. Right. But they use brand names to, to, to make selections based on familiarity and comfort. Mm. And that's why brands are so important. Yeah, no, absolutely. Because you'd never get you'd never get your shopping done if you overthought every product you had to buy right. and compared everything. You just you'd be there for about six hours. And life's right. like, yeah, yeah. We're we're not gonna we're not gonna analyze the meaning of every you know paper towel and yeah. peanut butter jar and and uh, and mm. uh, toothpaste we buy. We buy mainly on autopilot things that we're familiar and comfortable with. Mm. Mm. Um. Brand purpose, you touched on it a minute ago. <clears throat> now, brand purpose, it, it's still a bit fashionable at the moment. Um, might be going out of fashion a little bit. When I spoke to Mark Ritson a, a while ago, 
a year and a half, a year ago, he mentioned something um, Hoffman's refrigerator. Um, and I'm sure, I'm sure you know Hoffman's refrigerator since it was you he quoted. But we talked about purpose, and I thought it was just a lovely example because I've actually used that and played it back to clients and, and played talk to people and said, you know, tell people who might who are listening who might not know it, um, what are your views on brand purpose, and just like just tell me briefly Hoffman's refrigerator. What did he mean by that? Well, I, I know what he means, but. Yeah, I had a couple of refrigerator uh, things uh, going on, but the, this one is about, you know, you take stuff out of, out of your refrigerator and you put it all in piles and you put the stuff that you know what the brand means in one pile and stuff that you don't know what the brand, and you'll have you'll have just one pile. There's no, mm. there's nothing in your refrigerator. You know, look in there. What does this ketchup brand mean? What is the, you know, what, what is their brand purpose? What is the purpose of this milk cart? What of this brand of milk? Mm. What is the purpose of this uh, jelly that I have? Nobody buys that way. Yeah. It's a fantasy. But um, the thing about brand purpose is it's good for companies to do good. It's good for them internally to, to have a brand purpose that is good. But it is a waste of time and money to rub our noses in it mm. in advertising and marketing. That's that's not where it belongs. You know, you're you're a nice person, I'm a nice person. We give to charity every year to things that we believe in, but we don't put up billboards about it and yeah. rub the public's noses in what we do that's charitable. Corporations should be the same way. They should do the right thing because it's the right thing to do, not because they're going to make marketing points about mm. it. That's my point. Uh, yeah, I agree and I, and I think um you know, I, I think what happens is, what happens in too many instances is that purpose is something that comes out of your marketing department, and that you got a problem. Like if the CEO buys yes. into it, brilliant, that's great. If it means something outside of the marketing, but if if, if we had a brainstorm in the marketing um, com, in the, in the marketing department, and we got a purpose, you got a problem because it just yeah. becomes nonsense. Then um, it's bullshit. Yes. It is, yeah, um, it's mar it's marketing. It's not charity. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, as I said before, the, the problem with purpose marketing is the marketing bit. Not so much the purpose bit. Um, like I could talk all day, and we could talk all day about the problems with the industry. And I agree with you on on, on most of the things that you said. Um, I do feel advertising is a little bit easy. I think that's quite easy. We we can say what's wrong with everything. So I want to ask you maybe a question you're not asked all that often, which is, what do you like about advertising at the moment? Who do you like? Who who do you think is doing good stuff? Are there any brands, you know, companies in in advertising or campaigns that you respect or admire? Yeah, there are always people who are doing good work in advertising. I mean, Apple has done good work in advertising for decades. Uh, and, uh, you know, it started with Steve Jobs. He had a very specific idea of what advertising should be like. And, uh, you know, for the most part, they've continued. Now, they've had some misses. We all, nobody bats a thousand. Mm -hmm. uh, we, we've all had misses. But, um, they do good work, and I like I like the idea that there are uh, a lot of people in the advertising business now who are saying the whole corporate nature of the advertising industry has gone too far. We have to get back to being an industry of craftspeople, mm. of people, the, 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 an industry that's run by people who 
you know, their researchers or their copywriters or their art directors or their designers or their uh, marketing people instead of big financial corporate wise guys who who are you know tied to Wall Street and mm. are uh, and and you know like you said they're interested in what's happening in the next quarter that's that's their touchstone for what you know success in the advertising business now of course you have to be financially successful to some degree to remain in business mm-hmm. but we you know I am encouraged that there are people who are doing work that is leading us back to doing good at that I hope is leading us back to the quality of the advertising we're doing rather than just the quantity of clicks we get mm. and the quantity of, you know, what our CPMs are and all that stuff. And, you know, you asked me to name some people, Mark Ritson, certainly one of them, Professor Byron Sharp is one, mm-hmm. Karen Nelson Field is one, Orlando Woods is one, um, uh, Bennett and Field mm-hmm. are, uh, have done great work on that. So there are people who are doing the work, and I'm hoping that the industry is starting to see and recognize and, and get back to to the reality of how advertising can be more motivational, more interesting, and um, more f- consumer friendly. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And that, we, yeah, we push at the enemy. We we have such a, a body of work available. But then again, the world in which we live, it seems to be take um, Byron Sharp, the work he's he's done. Um, but you, then it seems to be people who just want to, they just want to come out and you know discredit him and say, oh, that's all, he's talking rubbish. So it seems to be a career in trying to knock down great thinking. I don't agree with everything Byron Sharp says, but I, I think he he, may, he talks a lot. Most of what he says is right. And I think some of it's been misinterpreted. He's coming on in a few weeks' time. I think a lot of some of the stuff he said was, was just taken literally. And, and people, a lot of his critics probably haven't read his work properly or don't, don't really understand it. So um, yeah. well, I want to ask you a question. Like, I've seen it here. It happens everywhere. Um, I call ad agencies no country for old men, and and I'm at that point where I'm I'm, I'm middle aged and I'll be I'll be old, and I'm gonna look expensive on a spreadsheet at some time. And I think when you look at experience, right? You know, there's very few people under fifty in ads ad agencies in Ireland who are not kind of CEOs, and even the CEOs are seeing quite a lot of departure. So I mean, they look expensive. So you know, when you're, when we don't really value output. So a, a senior copywriter may, may produce an unbelievable piece of copy. Now it may be expensive. A junior copywriter may get it wrong four or five times and what they produce at the end of the day may not be that good. But, but we look at the cost of somebody rather than the value. And when you think about unconscious bias and agencies, I mean, I saw you, you've talked a bit about this before. Um, why does the industry ignore People and I was going to say over fifty five. It's over. It's over thirties ultimately. And talk about that, like where yeah. these anomalies are, where people buying represent a certain percentage of the population, and yet they are nowhere to be seen. Is are we are we kind of just creating ads that we want? To, it's aspiration. We we want to look at good, young, good looking people, or are we missing a trick? Do you think by not being reflective of society and saying, you know what, no one cares about people over forty five, even though they have all the money. Yeah, it's absurd. We are uh, doing advertising by selfie stick. What's happened is um, in the advertising business now, about 6% of the, uh, here in the U.S., 6% of the population of ad agencies is under 50. In the population at large, 
about 47% of adults are mm. over 50. So um, we are way out of balance there, and it's absurd. And we do, you know, we're still targeting 18 to 34 year olds as the primary target for most ever, even though they have no money. People over 50 here in the U.S. buy about uh, 54% of all grocery products. They have about 70% of all the money. They spend about 51% of all consumer dollars. If people over 50 in the U.S. were their own country, they would be a larger economy than the total economies of Germany and Japan or, right. or India. And what, how much advertising and marketing is directed at them? Between 5 and 10%. It makes absolutely no sense. It's ridiculous. But the advertising industry lives on legends and rituals. And we've been targeting the same people for 50 years without thinking about what we're doing. And uh, it's absurd. And inside the advertising, into, you know, you walk into an advertising agency and one the, the first thing that strikes you is everyone is young. Mm -hmm. yeah. There are everyone. And it's absurd. These people are, you know, they're cheaper, mm -hmm. but that's not the primary reason they're hired. They're hired, as you said, for casting reasons. Someone over 50 is bad casting in mm. a creative department, no matter how creative they are, despite the fact that people over 50 win creative awards and almost, you know, in, in, you look at the yeah. Oscars, you look at the M, you look at Nobel Prizes, you look at Pulitzer Prizes. What is it? It's mainly people over 50. Mm -hmm. They're the creative leaders of the world, but you can't hire them in an ad agency to write a fucking banner ad, right? The, and um, it, it's nonsense. And, you know, if you look at, the, uh, look at literature and look at art, and you find that people in their 40s, 50s, and 60s do their best work. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not like math and science where 20-year-olds do, 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 do the best work. In literature, you know, in writing mm -hmm. and in design and art, which are the skills that we use in advertising, people who are 40, 50, and 60 do their best work. But we throw them away. We don't yeah. want them anymore. And it's, is uh, it just because they're too expensive? If you've been around a long time, and, e and even with inflation no. level, you know, is no, it's not just because they're they're you, you you know you could take a fifty five year old copywriter, and you can gift wrap her and for free and a wonderful and send her to an editor. They wouldn't take her for really, nothing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They wouldn't take her for nothing. Um, it, it's not just it's not dollars. just the, the right. It's, it's culture. It's um, and it's closed mindedness and it's stupidity. And it's it's like it's a big problem because when 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 you become such a bubble that you are unreflective of the consumers that you're trying to understand and you don't have, you know, this gray hairs in the room, like people who, who realize that, you know what, there's other things people do apart from TikTok. It's just it's a it's a dangerous it's a dangerous um, place to start going as, as an industry. And I don't. I don't know. I, I just don't know. I don't know why it's happened. It's just, um, yeah, I thought it was cost, it, it's but it's always, not. You're it's, right. It's always been that way, Dave. I, you know, I was in the business for 
40 some odd years and it was oh everyone always wanted young people mm. nobody wanted to talk to the people who really had the money right. and uh, it's crazy yeah it's weird and i'm not going to keep you too much longer so i heard sure. you, i heard you before and you say that there's two types of people who never learn lessons or they never progress <laughs> and it's golfers and ad people right so we've, right. we've touched on some of this before like why are yeah. we just so but like we've become more professional. I think years ago was kind of like the, the Don Draper type of characters and, it, you know, it was kind of gut feel and, you know, we become more professional. There was a lot of drinking involved. Even, even when I started in the industry 25 years ago, it was far more of a drinking culture and the, the agency, you, your social life revolved around the agency. That doesn't really happen that much anymore. So we're more professional, which is a good thing. But yeah, we... We, we just don't seem to be able to learn. There isn't a body of, of kind of material to draw on. We don't respect the past masters. We, we don't, even the, the work you talked about, like I've read Orlando, Orlando Woods' work, um, Karen Nelson Fields' work, Byron Sharp's work. There's a, there's a lot, even Binet and Field, they've done a great service to advertising. So we, we have a lot of, there, there's a curriculum there that, that we we I don't know we like should we should we have a a universal marketing curriculum whereby we should all um kind of sign up to a code of standards that you can't be hiring people I don't know what they're teaching them in 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 school I did a, a degree in marketing twenty five years ago I can't remember what I learned I don't know it's probably <laughs> useless but like why are why are we so bad at this and what and and should we do more to create like at least everybody has to read these books there's twenty books everyone's had to read them. Yeah. The the problem is we're an industry without principles. You know, most most endeavors, there are principles. If you're like, um, okay, medicine has the uh, germ theory of disease mm. and biology has uh, natural selection and, uh, you know, astronomy has gravitation. And these are principles that explain why mm. things are. I don't know what the principles are in the advertising industry. I don't think we have any. I don't think we agree on anything. The yeah. same things we were arguing about when I got into the advertising business a hundred years ago, we're still arguing about today. We we haven't developed any principles that um, everyone agrees on, mm. and and that and that is not, you know, that's not a that, that that's a free for all. Mm. That 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 that's not a body of knowledge. That's just a free for all where everyone has a different opinion, and we can't relate to, to to any specific principles about what we're doing and why we're doing it. So, and that, that's not going to change. We will we will continue to be golfers who never learn from you know you play <laughs> it twenty years later and they're still as bad as they were. They're making the same mistakes, and that's what we're we're doomed to a life of of golfing averageness. You know. <laughs> In that parlance. Yes, I'm right. afraid we are. Well, we shouldn't be. Like you said, there should be a curriculum that everyone is required to read. But the problem is, no one's going to agree on the curriculum. Yeah, true. Yeah, and no one's going to agree on on what is smart and what's but, not but smart. But again, and again, again, like even you know, and Rory Sullivan talks about this. You see Byron Sharp coming out with something, and then and then people go, "No, no, he's wrong. He's wrong." Because it, it's just the, the the binary world in which we want to live, which is. No, it's either that way or that way. And, you know, I mean, Rory makes a good point. He says, like, the opposite of a good idea can be another good idea. And and the, the, I don't know who says it, who was originally said it, but the, the sign of intelligence is to be able to hold two contrary or contradictory thoughts in your head and hold them there. And that's, I don't think we're good at that. We like it's A or B, it's black or white. You know, it's, 
and and the world has become quite polarized and and I think that's when when somebody comes out with a piece of work um like Byron Sharp's work, you're gonna get a load of people going, no, I totally disagree and and try yeah. and make a living out of disagreeing with them and discrediting them. Yeah. I couldn't agree more with you. I mean, people have ideas. And they're interesting and you should read them and think about them. And then, you know, yeah. you, you can accept or, or reject or accept part of this and part of that and say, this is right sometimes, yeah. not always. There's nothing in marketing that is always right or always wrong. Marketing is about likelihoods and probabilities. It's mm. not about true and false, yes and no, black and white. It's never like that. Some, you know, you, you the best you can do in marketing is say this is more likely, this yeah. is more probable than that. That's as good as it and, gets, and that's okay because, like, we don't you don't have to agree with everything. Like, economics is a fine example. You can have com- completely contradictory views in, in the world of economics. Yet they're they're both not nobody's discredited. Um, they're no. both they're both they both you know because no one knows when you're look when you're in the world of prediction, you're. Well, you're right until you're wrong, ultimately. So, yeah, when, you know, when so. you're in when you're in soft sciences like economics and marketing, where it's you know it's not hard science like physics yeah. and chemistry. Um, those are hard sciences where you can have facts and mm-hmm. true and false all the time. Uh, in in the in the softer sciences, in the social sciences, you're dealing with human beings. And human beings are very, very confusing, complicated things. And it's very hard to make hard and fast rules about how human beings behave. And that's what advertising Mm. tries to do. We try to understand how human beings behave. And and that's not easy. No, because we don't even know ourselves why we do things or why we buy what we buy or whatever. We don't know. You can't explain it. You can post-rationalize it but I don't know if you know it yourself. All right. Well, listen, on that final question, on that note, in terms of the work that we have and the great material and books, you're working on a new book at the moment. Um, yes. It's an interesting title. I won't give a spoiler unless you want to give the spoiler alert to what it is. I, I heard you talking about it before. So it's an interesting, it's unsurprisingly, I mean, the candid in terms of the title. If, if you told me what the book was called, I would have guessed you were the author. So can you tell me what it is, what it's about? What are you going to write about now? When When will we see it? The book is going to be called Ad Scam, and it's about uh, the dangers of tracking and about the dangers of fraud, online ad fraud. And, uh, uh, you know, we talked about tracking a little earlier, mm-hmm. and but ad fraud is eating up tens of billions of dollars every year, taking money from legitimate businesses and giving it to criminals and uh, and bad people, and uh, nothing is being done about either of those things that I think is significant yet. So that's what the book is is going to be about, and I hope to have it out, I don't know, maybe 90 days if I'm lucky. All right, okay. Well, I might give that a read and get you back on then, maybe in a couple of months' time we can have a chat about that. But I've really enjoyed chatting to you, um, you know, so it's been a, a, a good chat um i knew what i was going to get and I, and I agree with what you're saying sometimes there is a danger i find in myself um you know i'm a, i'm at that middle-aged man who gives out about advertising i find that you know, so it's nice to it's nice nice to listen to somebody else saying it you know and to feel <laughs> that i think if more people spoke up about it or you know just or have a point of view on things you know just i think the world would be a better place but i think Yeah, thanks, Bob. Thank you so much for joining me. Um, It's been a pleasure. 
Thank you, Dave. It's been my pleasure. Great. Good luck with the, good luck with the podcast and uh, hope to be in touch with you again. Okay, cool. Thanks a million, Bob. And thanks to everyone for listening. If you enjoyed that, why not listen back to our other ever-growing back catalog of episodes? You'll find them by simply typing Irish Times Inside Marketing into your search engine of choice. Thanks to Kira in Marketing, Andre and Sound and our partners in the Irish Times. So go out, read up on the amazing literature, read some of Bob's great books that he's written, read Orlando Wood, educate yourself and let's try and do better marketing. Until next time, thanks. The Inside Marketing Podcast, brought to you by Dentsu and Irish Times Media Solutions.